0: Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you
1: doing today? Oh, I'm very well, Grant. Do you see me just frantically waving at children to be quiet just then? God bless <laughs> isolation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, now, we can't afford you twitching again like you did last time. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's
0: right.
1: Took that took We'll that move right on. I twitch months to go away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Despite that, we're able to work from home and produce this show for people, and we've got a great guest and an incredible topic. So, Kim, please tell us all about the uh, situation for this episode.
1: Yes. Today, we are joined by the new General Mills Managing Director for Australia and New Zealand, Matthew Salter. He's uh, been with the company for a long time, on and off, uh, but the last six years he's been in the Swiss Alps with the global outfit, but he's back and he's focusing on growing the Australian business. For those not across uh, the global entity that is General Mills, their brands include Old El Paso, Latina Fresh, Nature's Valley, Hagen dazs and Betty Crocker. Matt, welcome. Thanks, Kim. Thanks,
0: Grant. It's great to be here.
1: Yes. Welcome back to, uh, to you know, Home Soil. Um, what brought you back?
0: Well, I, I mean, for me, I'd spent, you know, six years, so it's both a long time and a short time. <laughs> I'd say overseas, um, it was uh, certainly rewarding from, you know, both a personal and Business development point of view, um, and then also from a family development point of view, you know, lots of time together. Um, but a couple of reasons drove that. One, our our previous uh, managing director, his inter- international assignment was kind of due after after four years, so he was heading out, and all of the kind of planets aligned for me to return um, to to run this business. So it's um, you know it's been great with my kids, kind of. Becoming teenagers or or getting into the final years of schooling, they are able to have you know an amazing experience overseas in international school and learning that kind of global mindset. But then equally, it's it's great to be able to give them the chance to finish school back here in Australia and uh, and to spend a bit a t- bit more time with with family. You know, I think um, again, particularly probably the last twelve to eighteen months, the the inability to to kind of even come home. Um, certainly made that distance feel a lot further than what it already is. So um, really nice to be back.
1: Yeah, uh, how different is it when you're in uh, over in Europe with with General Mills to what it looks like here? Like, what would be some of the big differences? Look I think
0: the I think the culture of the organization is very similar. Um you know it's it's often been described as almost family like. Um you know there's a lot of care, a lot of support, uh, a lot of collaboration um and equally you know fun. I, you know I think just about every manager I've had has said, you know, hey we spend a lot of time together, we should have some fun whilst we do it. And so I'd say a lot of those things are, are very similar. I think the big difference really is just the the cultural nuance that you have of, you the majority of your team coming from all over the world. Um, You know, I think here, based in Australia, you know, we certainly have, you know, lots of individuals with, you know, kind of diverse backgrounds. Um, But then all of a sudden, when you have, you a team of people and none of them have English as their first language, um, it certainly, you know, throws up, you know, a different um, mindset about how you communicate and how you lead teams, and and I would say, I mean, it's I find it remarkable my my colleagues overseas and the, the strength of their English to be able to operate and do do business in English. Um, you know, whether they've grown up, you know, as French speakers, Spanish speakers, Greek, Dutch. I mean, it's you know, it's it's quite remarkable. But I think that's the main difference is you realise your communication style has to evolve, and you have to be able to adjust. You know, almost in conversation to individuals, because, um, I think particularly when you're face to face, your people won't often, won't often tell you if they don't understand. Uh, you can nor tell by the look on their face if they really haven't picked up on one of those, you know, Aussie slang, um, colloquialisms that we tend to use a lot of here. And then you work out pretty quickly that, um, you have to communicate, leveraging more of their kind of vocab than what we would, you know, potentially hear.
1: So, would you, sh- would you say sort of that, that leadership, when you're leading that sort of team in that environment, it just requires you to be so almost adaptive, you know, from an interpersonal to a team orientation. How does that play out then in terms of um, setting goals and, and forming a group that you can lead, you know, that you are all working to that common point? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think I've, I've certainly become a, a better listener um you know it's uh, it's one of those areas that again you have to really listen to what people are saying and even listen past the words um, because again when you think that of you know, maybe some of the maybe some of the structure of sentences um etc you know may not have some of the flowery niceties you know certain there's certain kind of cultures where you'd say gee they're direct um, you know, if I speak of the Dutch or something like that, you go, wow, they tell you exactly what they think. Um, but actually, it is it is that mindset of positive intent. Like, the, you know, they get straight to the point. They talk about what they'd like to talk about. And so, you kind of navigate in and out of that. And, and so, what is important is that you're consistently clear on, like, what are your priorities? what are your priorities um, creating again that sense of um, where people belong and and what how their role impacts the broader organization and and their role in growth and the strategy and so i think equally i've i've come accustomed to you know asking a lot more of questions, you know, rather than sort of just speaking um, and then assuming everything's been, you know, maybe understood and, and everyone's on the right path, is to kind of come back and, and check in with people that they understand and then equally if they have questions um, and building that kind of sense of your know, almost psychological safety of saying, you know, I can ask questions and feel okay about it. I can say if I don't understand something, it's it's okay.
1: that's something I think that we can sometimes forget about as well is that you, it is the listening and the asking questions, but it is also creating that sense of a safe environment where people can make mistakes or, or, you know, admit that they're not understanding something that's really interesting. Do you think that some of those skills still apply within, now that you're back in Australia, do you think they still apply here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, right now I'm sort of doing my listening tour, um, you know, it's one of those things that I've had, you know, multiple um, pieces of advice from from others and, and I'm actively doing is to, to unlearn what you think you know. You know, one of the traps of kind of, you know, having worked in, in a business for a long time is you kind of, well, I know this and I know that and, um, you know, I know the history and, um, but again, um you know, the, the business even in the six years has changed and the consumer landscape and the customer landscape. And so, uh, using those listening tools to really try and separate myself from what I think I know um, to maybe, you know, what the um, what the reality might be. Some will be affirming and, you know, some will be different. Um, but, you know, really stepping into things the way any kind of new leader would um, kind of despite, you know, maybe some of my background and knowledge. So, I think that's... um. That's super important, and then I think continuing to be flexible in the way that you lead and adaptable. Um, you know, I'm always positioned myself as someone that is, you're know, there and ready to adapt to the team versus you're know, the team always thinking how do I need to adapt you know, to a different leader. Um, and so I think you know, regardless of your know, background language, you know, anything else, you've got to have the ability to understand how to motivate. Your people um, differently. Um, what's important to them? Your know, how you build relationships, and so I think all of that kind of um, experience that I've had overseas and throughout my career hopefully is going to position me well to to get the get the most out of my team and and help them be as successful as they can be.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think that's really interesting, or are there extra challenges to that when you're working in a company like General Mills that? has such history, I mean, it's been around for about 150 years, I think, um, to, to keep up and to maintain that ability to adapt and change and, you know, and, and keep moving forward?
0: No, I mean, I, I would say actually, um, you know, we're, we're a bit over 150 years old and the, and the reason for that is through embracing change. Uh, you know, when we think of what we started as a, as a milling company in, in Minneapolis, uh, making flour. And if you look through the history of the organization and the sorts of companies and brands and businesses that we've we've owned, we've divested, we've bought, we've built, um, you would see that change is actually constant. And I think, you know, that's certainly the way we look forward today is that, you know, to accelerate our growth, um, we need to look at how the consumer is changing, how the marketplace is changing, and and therefore building our kind of strategies um, and organisation to kind of meet the future versus the past. And so, um, I think, you know, we, we have that strong mindset of, of leaning into change and leaning into opportunity. And so, I don't find it a challenge. I think it's invigorating. It's exciting, um, and uh, you know certainly, we're if anything, we're sort of really pushing our people in our organisation to to think bigger and to really challenge us and you know challenge the status quo and see see what there can be out there.
1: In terms of just coming back to the global nature of the company, is there a lot of cohesion across? The markets. So, do we? Does the Australian market have a lot to do with the US market or the the company? And and I know that um, you've been talking since your return about trying to build some stronger ties there. What does that look like?
0: Yes, we have uh, five like reported segments. So, um, as I've talked about that that previous role that I've come from in in Europe, we Australia actually reports Australia and New Zealand report into Europe, so they're part of our segment that is Europe and Australia. Um, And then that rolls up into the the global organization. So, we have a a North America retail business. We have a business called Asla, which is all of Asia and and, um, Latin America. Um, and then um, we have a convenience and food service business, which, again, is US-based, and then a pet business, um, which is US-based, Blue Buffalo. And so, you know, we have obviously different levels of connectivity, certainly through the EU-AU, as we would call it, given the reporting nature, given the, you know, we, we work collaboratively with our Marketing development teams and manufacturing supply chain teams that sit there regionally in Switzerland. Um, very close relationship, but equally, I probably through my um, past roles, I had a lot more connectivity globally, having sat on things like the Global Marketing Council. You know, collaborating with kind of the marketing leaders that come through the US, your know, Asia. So you're really trying to bring some of that connectivity back into australia i think yeah you know, that's one of the things that we certainly feel is the is the distance uh, i mean the physical distance but also the time zone can be a can be a challenge at times to connect and and as an organisation we want to make sure that ideas are travelling around the world um and you know and information and knowledge and that learning mindset is travelling around the world so i think um we're working you're know, hard on how we make sure that how our, our business here in Australia and New Zealand feels very connected to the global strategy um, and then I think, you know, as we've had more and more people, you know, start in this Australian business and move out um, and then come back, you know, those connections are made. So, you know, if I look at my leadership team now, my, my sales director, she spent three years in New Zealand, then three years in the UK and has just come back to Australia. My finance director spent three years in Switzerland. Um, my HR director has spent time in France, the UK, my supply chain director is Italian. So, you kind of have you know, a lot of the connectivity through relationships of, of the different roles that we've performed and, and that's really kind of now centered back into the Australian business. So, it, it does create a lot more opportunity for us.
1: You mentioned earlier about how the company um, is continually adapting to the, ch- you know, changing markets and changing consumers. What are some of the big market changes that, that you're seeing at the moment that you think are, are really, you know, major major targets for the company?
0: Well, I think, the, I mean, everything's kind of been thrown up in the air a little over the yes. last uh, <laughs> 12 to 18 months. Yeah, some trends have completely changed and others have just you're know, being put on pause or, 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 you know, have, have kind of accelerated. I think certainly the, the shift in the way consumers are shopping in terms of your know, e-commerce and, you know, is, is something that has. Certainly change the way that we, uh, we market our brands and the way that we work with our customers. And it'll be, it'll be here to stay. I think it'll continue to accelerate. And, you know, that really means that we have to think and, and develop our capabilities around digital marketing and connected commerce. I think, you know, we've, we've historically been, you know, maybe I'd say, slightly integrated, but now we need to be fully integrated, the consumer is certainly expecting that seamless kind of journey between offline and online. And so, uh, I think you can see whether it be General Mills or, or other companies all looking to say, how do we build that kind of connected ecosystem, um, you know, that comes through both insights, your know, technology, and then also, you know, the development of our products. So, I'd say that's one key area. Um, I think there is other areas that have, have kind of been almost turbocharged by, by what's happened. And you know, that's, that's where you have advantages with, with brands like Old El Paso, which really is a brand about you know, connectivity. Like if you think about being at a, a family dynamic or with friends, it's, it's one of few meals that brings everybody to the dinner table. Um, and we talk about it being, you know, I, you know, I used to talk about it even in my marking days about being like a magnifying glass on your family dynamic. Um, and, you know, it's impossible not to have noise to talk with the sort of reaching and grabbing and customization. And, and you know, if there's problems, you know, in your family, if, if mum or dad is not getting on well with one of the kids, like it's probably going to erupt over a taco. Um <laughs> Yo, but equally, yo, because someone won't pass the salsa or something like that. But, uh,
1: a rage burrito.
0: That's it. (laughs) But I think that's where, um, you know, when you think right now, there was there was really a, a sense of families in particular were missing that connectedness. We were at a stage where so many dinners were eaten one at a time or in shifts or someone's going to this sport and someone's going to that sport. And so, they were using, you know, a brand like Otto Paso to actually say, I'm going to bring the family together, whether it be a taco Tuesday or a, a fun meal on the Friday, um, you know, to have that sense of connectivity and, and particularly I'd say, you know, that desire from, you know, still traditionally mum to say like I want to feel that my family is in a good place um, and having dinner together and having conversation reinforces that and, and you know what we've spent a whole year having dinners together um you know every night <laughs> maybe <laughs> too many dinners together people would say but um but I think from that front you know, people I don't think people will go back from that I think it's one of the elements of the pandemic people have loved they've loved that time together and they treasure it and I think they'll protect it um, and so, although you know, people will go back to restaurants and we'll do other things when we can, I think you know, we will certainly protect that time around the dinner table and, and make sure that it's a positive one.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really. Um, I mean, from from what we report in food and drink business, it's it's a real uh, almost like a contradiction with what the pandemic has done in terms of. It's made us all lock down and and reconnect and and return to things like dinner around the table together every night, but then it's also made us try to find to be um, try new things and to experiment and to just you know reach out to just try and enliven what is otherwise <laughs> driving us cabin fever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, certainly. I mean, I think you could probably say, um, be it, be it the cooking programs or, you know, um, the, the meal delivery boxes. There is a lot of, you know, options that have come into our home repertoires so that is about experiencing new cuisines, new foods. You know, people are cooking recipes. They're baking more at home. Um, and so I think this is, uh, you know, again, an exciting part of maybe it's tiring for some, but at the same time, it's, it's exciting. You know, I certainly know in our family, kids cooking. You know, All of a sudden, you're at home with your kids, and they've got some time. And you're like, "Hey, yeah, you know, my son Tom, your your sous chef tonight. You know, get on the knife, start chopping, um, because you're know, at the moment they're not at basketball training and they're not at doing different things. And so, I think immersing them into food and nutrition and and what that looks like from a from a health point of view and, and what you can create is is fantastic. Um, and then, uh, and then you've still got convenience foods and, and other things to, you know, that is making life easier um, at the same time as how people are indulging, I would say, is the other probably trend that we're seeing. You know, for, for quite a while, we were seeing a separation of you had kind of health and you had indulgence. Um, and almost something that is in the middle is a bit of a waste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I either kind of want to be healthy or if I'm going to have your ice cream or cake, I'm going all in. Um, and so, I think we've continued to see that, you know, through, through these lockdowns. You know, I'm I'm sure my my old company, CB, and, and others have, have done quite well as people have indulged in a bit more wine and a few more beers um, at home. You know, equally, I remember last year in winter, ice cream sales grew something like 40% in winter. Um, and it was you know that idea of like you know, I'm looking I'm at home and and I want to make myself feel better and so um, you know I think it was you know whether it's people buying lipsticks you know investing in you know well, in, it, in wine collections like yeah
1: <laughs> people you're not you're not buying clothes that you're going to be wearing to work you're not going on holidays uh you know you you're at home and and what can you buy when you're at home that will make you. Feel good, or give you a little kick, or a little highlight of your week, and yeah. You know, I think
0: also, I mean, I've, I think it's you know we we also talk about the kind of what we would say, you know, the K-based recovery. Like there, there is that, but then equally, we know there's a lot of people doing it really tough right now, and so um, you know, I think it is something like you know, twenty to twenty four percent of people say they are worse off um, than where they were in twenty nineteen and then you have this other sort of you know there's a there's a group in the middle but then there's again another 30 40% that are a lot better off and so how you think about Providing value for consumers um, that are that are doing it tough right now. You know, they might work in certain industries, um, have had impacts on you know their business, their livelihood, um, or their health. And then equally, so you know, how do you provide value for them? And then equally, you know, there is there is a consumer base that has probably never had so much money in their pockets because. You yeah, their interest rates are low and they're not traveling and they're not doing some of these other things. And so, how do you premiumize um, and offer kind of experiences and, and product solutions that, um, that can kind of tap into that, that growing um, consumer base?
1: And I think, as you were saying, you know, that that some of the population are worse off and that uh, last year General Mills was part of the new Food Bank initiative called the Collaborative Supply Program, where you're dono- donating the time and labour to make the product and other suppliers are donating the raw ingredients and in the packaging. And I think it was one area where food and business um, companies really did step up last year. And, um, you know, that General Mills also donated 60 pallets, which was around 45,000 meals of its annulati to Food Bank last year, when we had so many people going into that position of food insecurity. And I think it is always great to see when when the larger end of town (laughs) do sort of, you know, Step up. But I think it's also great to see that something out of the pandemic was this innovative new initiative coming through Food Bank of this collaborative supply and and working out some more longer term solutions for those in the population who are, you know, at a disadvantage or or struggling.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, when we talk about being a force for good, it's, it's one of the areas that, you know, if you talk about big food, if you talk about our global footprint, you'd say, yeah, big food can have a big impact. Um, you know, it's where your scale can be significant, and so I think there is there's lots of you know fantastic smaller organisations that have kind of led through purpose and and supported communities and food security. But I think when the you know when kind of as you said the the bigger end of town gets on board and starts driving that, that the reach and scale that they can bring to that is pretty significant. And I think, you know, we, we made some great steps last year because we recognize that, I mean, we've, we've supported food bank, you know, with cash donations, with product donations at different times. You know, we've partnered, you know, more recently with Nick Curios and his foundation to donate food through food bank. With our mess-free challenge, um, but you know, one of the things in in working closely with Food Bank was recognizing that that also like there's a constant need. And so, whilst you're delivering, you know, maybe twenty thousand Paso meals one month is fantastic, the next month there's not that there. And so, this is where the, that collaborative action is really quite significant because we will will supply, and we've just signed up to do it to expand it further this year. Um, it's a bit over ten thousand meals. Per month, every month, um, and so it's great that we can work with suppliers. So you know, effectively we donate our kind of labor and facility, and, and everyone donates you know the the ingredients, the transportation, um, so that we can consistently deliver products that can go into families. Um, it's not clearance product it's not anything else it's you know, fresh off the line exactly as we would sell into any supermarket um, and I think yeah if there is if there is more kind of organizations that can jump on board and, and support that then I think there are more families out there that know that they're consistently going to get that support um, of, uh, of food on the table when they need it
1: and then meanwhile, you know, we're in an industry that is always dynamic and, you know, we're riding through a period of immense change, both societal and really in terms of R&D and, and developments within our sector. Where does a multinational like General Mills play on that field? You know, you've got these sort of scrappy, nimble operations up and coming, you know, doing cultured meats or making plant-based everything, um, starting to make, you know, <laughs> protein out of air. Um, <laughs> You know, it goes on and on so I mean where where does where does general Mills sit with that
0: I mean I'd certainly say they're an inspiration to us um, and uh, and I think you know what we certainly have in in ANZ is to kind of do both in terms of you know growing a core business but also you know, we talk about relentlessly innovating and and so you know how we can be agile how we can experiment um, and create under under kind of the network of a big multinational like it you know, what that brings is it brings capabilities, it brings resources, um, and really the, the ability to innovate and be entrepreneurial is a mindset, you know, rather than anything that you know, can, you know, that's related to your size. So, we kind of try to talk about being a multinational startup. Um, this idea of, um, you know, of, of how we have the mindset of a startup, um, but the, the resourcing of the multinational to enable it. And so, I mean, there's a few things that we do. You know, we do things like uh, what we call innovation labs. So, we have a, a, a Europe and Australian marketing council that funds breakthrough kind of first to business or first to world marketing ideas. Um, so each month, you know, we've got teams, you know, coming in and pitching ideas and, and then we're funding them to, to work out what ideas can we have that can scale. And, you know, there is also rewarding that sense of, um, rewarding the sense of failure, the rewarding the sense of trying. Um, and so we do that. We're, uh, we're about to kick off a, you know, our version of a shark tank. Um, so, where we have, you know, our, our entire local organization can ideate and can pitch growth ideas into our leadership team to have them funded. It can come from anyone and it can be linked to product process, marketing, um, expertise. You know, we have, a, we have a team in the US called 301 Inc., So that, um, that is a separate organization that business that partners and invests in startups that are really looking for that. How do I get to the next level? What experience can you bring into our business? And so it's, it's largely, uh, at the moment through the US business. Um, and so we've, we've invested in things, you know, like plant-based meats and these sorts of things, you know, in their infancy and, and supported them, you know, plant, particularly plant-based, um, snacking, um, businesses, um, and then um and then you know we also have you know experimented around having things like founder teams you know that sit outside of the core business um and have this kind of remit to bring rapid real world experimentation and and i think you know one thing that is is great here in Australia is that you're know, aware, as I said, it's a sometimes a challenge our distance and our time zone. It's equally an opportunity because you know we can um, we can do things out here that maybe would otherwise get uh, get somewhat trapped into some of the complexities you know that can come with with multinationals and scale. Um, and we have a great customer base that is really wanting to experiment and, and bring new things to market as well. So. I think uh, it's certainly something that we want to continue to do more of in the in the future years.
1: That seems like a really good place to uh, put a line in our conversation. But as I always uh, ask at the very end, what gets you out of bed every day, Matt? puts a kick in your step?
0: Uh, for me, I think it's um, you probably picked it up through some of our conversation. It really is the the potential to create. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a creative person, and and really, you know, it's it's getting to work, you know, be it virtually or you know, face to face, you know, with the people that I work with, and trying to unlock their collective potential to to create something new, to solve consumer problems, and to you know, serve the world. Food people love, so it's it's really not difficult for me to get out of bed. Uh, well, maybe it's difficult for me to get out of bed, but it's not difficult to get to work. Um. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Like that clarification. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much. It's um, it's going to be really exciting to see how um, the company travels along under your leadership, and uh, let's touch base again further down the track. See how um, see how you're going, and thank you once again.
0: Sounds great. Thanks for uh, making some time, Kim. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kim. And thank you, folks, once again and as ever for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.